Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. We are more or less systematically making our way through this gospel account that Luke, the historian, the physician, has recorded for our good that Jesus wanted for us to discover about his person and his character. We've been talking a lot. The theme, really, that is coming forth at this stage in Christ's ministry, and as Luke records, is this reoccurring theme of the king and the kingdom, the authority of our great king, the expanse and the nature, as we talked about last week, of that kingdom. Jesus is heading right now toward Jerusalem. He has his, his face fixed in that direction, so to speak, because he knows that he will be, uh, he, he will be uh, raised up. But not, but not like others would desire or maybe imagine that he would be a king that would uh, ascend a throne, but the throne that he would ascend, uh, contrary to what we might imagine, is a cross. And that's where he will suffer, and for good reason. Not his sin, but our sin. And, uh, and he will be a sacrifice. Last week we talked about, I highlighted the nature of the kingdom. And I, I gave this analogy or this, this metaphor that I encountered a number of years ago walking on the streets uh, in Cambridge one afternoon. And uh, I come, I'm coming along and I can see right out of the corner of my eye a man who is jackhammering, trying to open up the concrete on the sidewalk. And, uh, and he, he, you know, you can tell there's a lot to this and there's a reason that he needs, you know, some high powered machinery. Of course, the irony is that as I'm walking and seeing him, the sidewalk right in front of me on this side of the road is already broken open and it's in a, you know, a myriad of pieces and it's, you know, it's, it's hardly noticeable. And that's all because of a tree, uh, the roots of a tree. It's really all because of what a, a single acorn, a seed. And that's how we talked about it last week, that the, the kingdom of God, that Christ would have us see and appreciate that it is small in its beginnings. It is subtle, but it is pervasive like leaven, and it is powerful like a seed that gives birth, gives birth and, and grows and bears uh, fruit. That we, It's transformative. We say the kingdom is small in its beginnings, but it is, it is transformative when people come to meet the king, and it is the king. Uh, Christ himself, that royal divine word that he brings, that he provides. We saw this, this wonderful picture of his healing power and his ability to, to uh, overcome even spiritual dark forces last week. You can read it uh, if you haven't uh, already to go back and, and discover what he does there. And the king, as he operates uh, so often, we see he's setting people free and, and we sometimes can so easily be centered uh, on ourselves. And he is, the, he is the central message in the ability to, to change people. People who are often so uh, centered on self, but nevertheless, he's, he's there for those who would acknowledge their need for great help. I was reminded of that um, last week, or last night, I should say. Last night we went to, a, uh, some of you were there, uh, a fundraiser for Bethesda House. And Bethesda House, as some of you know, is a, a home for mothers, and their young uh, children that's here on the South Shore. And uh, it was started by uh, some Christians, a, a, a woman by the name of Missy. It's a beautiful ministry. Uh, some of these women are, are financially distressed or they're in recovery or they find themselves homeless and they're expecting, they choose not to abort their babies. And they have a, they have a safe haven, they have a refuge, they have a place where they can be equipped and encouraged and supported and blessed. And the seed that began all of that is bearing real fruit in the lives of women and children and volunteers uh, who are there. And, uh, and frankly, it brings tears of joy to find out of, of the ways that uh, the gospel has brought hope and transformation 
to some of these, uh, to, to some of these people. Uh, it began, of course, with a seed. And you can say, well, that seed, if you look at the history of it, is Missy, who herself, many years ago, 20 plus years ago, was a mother uh, who, was, uh, who was, was not married and had a baby and was contemplating the consequences and the ramifications of all that. Uh, but she uh, was, was, God was merciful to her. And then looking forward uh, to uh, a life as a nurse, she knew she could bless others. And that began uh, the foundations of a, a beautiful ministry that is now the Bethesda House some 20 plus years later. But it's really not the story of a young mother overcoming difficulties, which indeed that is true. But it's really more the story of a genuine follower of Christ. A genuine follower of Christ who realized that she was not the most important person in the world. Not even her baby, who was very important, the most important thing in the world. But as a genuine follower of Christ, realizing that Jesus is the king and she would faithfully follow and invest in the kingdom. The kingdom that has and is and will be at work. And we can participate in that. Jesus has the power, I want to remind you, to bring healing. Jesus has the power to bring genuine hope and freedom. But for many, seeing is not believing. We say, well, if I'd been there, well, that doesn't necessarily change anything. There are indeed people who were there, as we read last week, when this man was, or this woman was healed, he was bent over, and Jesus had compassion and healed her. And then there were still people who were naysayers. So seeing is not believing, but surrendering in humility and faith is seeing, is understanding the king and the kingdom that he offers. So I'm going to read, and then we're going to ask for God's help when we discover more of this king. Let me invite you to stand. And you're going to see why I'm going to pray for us after we read, because we're going to need some help. <laughs> Luke 13. We're going to pick up where we left off. So we're now at verse uh, 22 through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. And if you want to follow along, I encourage you. It's on page 873 in the Pew Bible. He, that is Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen to shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open it to us. Then he will answer to you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, well, we, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, you yourselves will be cast out. And people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. In the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children 
together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let's ask his help. Father, please, I ask that you would be uh, right now in my speaking and in our hearing by the work of your spirit. I pray you would grant us a humble and willing heart to respond. Perhaps there would be even some today who might come to faith in the great Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. I highlighted uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, uh, an interview that was with uh, Elon Musk. You know, a guy who uh, throws around million, a million dollars like their quarters in your pocket, right? Kind of cool. You know, this is a person that, you know, to say the least, it would be an understatement to say that Elon Musk is a person of influence. And uh, you maybe even read some news stories this week that would indicate that. And of course, that influence you know, could mean a lot of things. And that means that if he gets behind something, then that gets, at the very least, attention. And it may even uh, gain a whole host of investors and happy people. He was asked about Jesus in an interview uh, not long ago. I think it was at the close of last year in December. And I highlighted a couple weeks ago how he spoke very favorably of Jesus. Of course, the way that he was able to speak so favorably of Jesus uh, uh, further proves that he doesn't really understand Jesus. I don't, I don't mean that in a, in a demeaning kind of way. It's just the full picture is not there. If you can say that it's very, uh, you know, it's very warm to welcome Jesus, you don't know the full picture because Jesus at times and turns is altogether offensive. Right. I mean, a a reading, not a study, but just a reading, because I think that he, like many people in our modern culture, have never taken the time to study, let alone even just read the New Testament in its whole. Because if you do, then you will find something of Jesus that's rather surprising. Now, not all of them are bad. And some of those surprises are, are things that we would welcome with the eyes of faith and a heart, like I said, that surrendered. There was one Tim Keller quotes from a Scottish man from the 19th century named Ron Watson, who had poured himself over scripture to try to understand. And as he did, this is what he concluded. He says, I found that Jesus was full of surprises, but they were all surprises of perfection. I found tenderness without being weak. I found in Jesus strength without being coarse or cruel. I found lowliness without being servile. He had conviction without intolerance, enthusiasm without fanaticism, holiness without Pharisaism, passion without prejudice. And then get this. I love the way it's so phrased. This man, Jesus alone, never made a false step. No one has yet discovered what Jesus ought to have said. You can't find something that Jesus ought to have said. Now, you can find some things that you you think to yourself, I I wish he had not said that. Right? When you're you're there confronted with not what you would perceive as an opportunity, but a responsibility to forgive and love your enemies, you think, "I I wish Jesus hadn't gone there. This would be a prime case, would it not? What we just read here in Luke would be a prime example of a portion of God's word that we, we would put under the heading of the hard sayings of Jesus, right? No, no, not because they're hard to understand so much as they are hard to digest. 
two things that I want to highlight that stand out in this, this portion here. They're listed there in the order of service. The first thing we see here is the voice of authority. And the second thing is we see a door then and today of opportunity. Jesus, to start here with the voice of authority, is teaching with great authority. Throughout this portion, we see multiple times, even in the last two chapters, where Jesus turns and challenges others and he answers other people. And then this phrase comes up again and again. And it's this, I tell you, I tell you, Jesus says. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I tell you. In other words, I'm not appealing in my response and in my challenge. to you. I'm not appealing to something else or to someone else. Now, he does do that when he quotes the Old Testament, which he knows very well. But so often, as we've read in the last two chapters, you can go back and trace it. Chapter 12, chapter 13, I think I counted 10 instances where Jesus says, I tell you, I tell you. Even here in this chapter, for many, I tell you, verse 24, will seek to enter and will not be able. Then he says it again. Well, even if you go back earlier in the chapter, you see there, I tell you, no, Unless you repent, you will, like, you will likewise perish. That was in verse 3. He says the same thing. He echoes it in verse 5. Then again in, in chapter 13 here, in verse 27, in verse 35, he says, I tell you, I tell you. Now, if, if folks want to hone in on the things of Jesus that they resonate with, that they find to be uh, more readily and easily digestible, especially in our, our own cultural context, you go to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus on, this, on the, the Mount of Olives, it's recorded in Matthew 5 through 7. You read about, you read about Jesus, he's, he's meek, he, he encourages peacemaking, he encourages our, our love and generosity, but it's at the close of the Sermon on the Mount where we, ta- we, you know, we kind of taper off. But it's there that we hear an echo of a similar teaching to what we just read. Here again, the hard sayings of Jesus in Matthew 7 at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to the destruction. And those who entered are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So it doesn't surprise us that a few verses later in Matthew 7, it records this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority. Here's, here's the scandal, right? Because the scandal, the scandal of what we read here, if we're paying attention back to our chapter in Luke, in verse 22, that echo in verse 22, what does it say? Well, he, it begins with, in verse 22, he began teaching in the towns. And then verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, will those who be saved be few? The scandal is the, is the narrowness, right? Jesus is teaching. This man comes and says, who's included and who's excluded? And Jesus is the one who has the authority. And he, as much as we would be more inclined, perhaps, to say and to, to favor a view that says, oh, there's, there's many, many roads that lead to that one destination, which is God. And even the people who don't even know that they're seeking God will find God someday. But that's not what the text says. Not here, not elsewhere. Jesus doesn't give any impression that there are many roads that lead to one common destination. He says, no, there are two roads 
and only two roads, and they lead in opposite directions. And by the way, every one of us is on a road in one of those two directions. We're not just, well, I'm not even on the road right now. I'm not a person of faith. And if you're here today and that's you, I'm glad you're here. But I want to remind all of us that we're on a road and it does lead somewhere and there are consequences. This is Jesus' word, not mine. It's Jesus who has the authority to say these things. It's, it's just as much authority that you would imagine. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not too favorable about that, that notion. Well, listen, there are other times that you entirely do welcome that. We, we, we must, right? It's not anymore. You don't, I don't have any more liberty if you were a pilot and you're flying into Logan Airport. Many of you have, right? It looks like and feels like you're about to land on the water. True, right? As you make your approach, what if air traffic control says the pilot comes in and then she or he says, oh, well, you know, just y'all just going to put this thing down wherever I want to. No, there's not that much of a margin of error for one. And it is a busy airport. So who gets to say where you're going to land? And why are you being so precise? Because it is for your good that you will land at this time, at this place. That sounds narrow. Well, does it sound narrow when the NFL referee says to the kicker, you know, it's no good. They stand next to the goalpost. So it's not fair. It's not fair. Why can't it be more than 18 feet and six inches between those goalposts? It ought to be bigger, right? I mean, as long as you get it there, as long as you're sincere as a kicker and try your best, surely just get it, just get it in the vicinity. Everybody here is getting a trophy, right? We understand that specificity, that, that authority, that a narrowness in t- at times. You don't go to your, some of you are in medicine, I'm looking at you. You work in, you, some of you work in, in, in the OR. You say, oh, I'm sorry, but the surgeon, he, he's just, he's going to set aside the, the normal protocol. No, we're going to follow a protocol. This is a big deal. What's the question? The question is in verse 23. And the question comes, will there be few that enter the kingdom? Now, we don't know the background of this person. We don't know their motivation. We we don't know what they're aiming at. We don't even know how they responded to this entirely. But we know that one thing that is for sure is that Jesus is not willing to leave it as a matter of curiosity. He turns it and to a matter, a manner, a matter of urgency. Does that make sense? And, and by the way, he does make it personal, but he also makes it plural. Because it was one person who came in verse 23 with the question. And then when he turns and he answers them, don't miss this. And he said, he said to him, Lord, the individual, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them. Jesus turns and he addresses a broader audience and says, this is what's important. He does not directly answer the question. He, he presses them to understand the urgency of what, his, well, what the kingdom is about. The master of the house, verse 25, has all the authority and some surprises, Right? Let's look at the text again. You can see the picture, right? Some of these people are knocking outside the door. 
They were self-preoccupied. But when the feast is right to begin, they say, oh, well, I do belong in there. Look at verse 26. They're there. They'll begin saying, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Come on, let us in. We know you. It's like the person who lives in a relatively obscure way in life. And all of a sudden, for some reason or another, they're hoisted and launched into, you know, prosperity. Maybe you have a famous friend. I don't know. You know, they have wealth and prosperity. They're, they've, they've, they've risen to celebrity or, or uh, some other status. And then all of a sudden, out of the woodwork, right? Oh, I heard you signed in the first round. That's really cool. Remember me? Oh, buddy. You signed my yearbook. It's right here. Remember, we, we, you, I, I played third base and you were shortstop back in, back in middle school. I've lived my whole life. I have not heard from you. I don't know who you are. You get it, right? That's, that's how they're approaching the king and the Messiah, the master. Verse 28, let's move down. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the, that is the, the anguish and the anger that they feel. They, they are put out that they were put out. They are angry. They're responding in this way. They're disappointed. And then, of course, to add to that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here are listed. They're heroes. They're heritage is going in, and they are not there. And then there's this, you know, Jesus is not, of course, bewildered by the fact that there's judgment. He is the judge in the end. But what troubles him is the hardness of the heart, the hearts of those who were there. People who knew of Jesus, clear teaching and invitation, and they stood outside. They stood outside, so to speak, with skepticism. Some of them stood outside with maybe a a sense of superiority because they thought, all those crazy people, so over the top about Jesus. I mean, come on. Maybe it's others we don't know that were just apathetic. Their vision was obscured. They couldn't appreciate Jesus and Messiah for who he is and what he's done because they're preoccupied with self and material gain and chasing after pleasures. And there's plenty of evidence of that in our culture, in our lives, in our homes, in our schedule. There's this great reversal that Jesus mentions in verse 30, a reversal of expectation, a reversal of status. Behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. The Jews were God's chosen people and they inhabit Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You are the chosen people, but you have not surrendered. And now the last or the least of these are the Gentiles. And so what he is in essence saying is you may assume that they are last and least, but I'm telling you, they're going to be they're going to be coming in and welcome and That's a reason for celebrating. So in many ways, the answer to the question in verse 23 about about, is it few? Dale Ralph Davis, one of my favorite commentators, puts it this way. He says the answer, he says, fewer than one would expect, but more than one would imagine. I love the way he phrases that. And I want to highlight more of what I mean by that. 
It's fewer than one would expect, but it's more than one would imagine. Least, last, first. Let, let's, let's, whatever we assume is our status, which so often we do that and we, we accumulate and estimate that in reference to other people. And you can always find people who are lesser than you and you can always find people who are worse than you. It's not about that. Jesus is not saying, he's saying it's urgent that you deal with you. And so now I want to highlight as we hear the voice of his authority so loud and clear here that he is also, and we may not like it, but he will judge every one of us someday. He has risen from the dead. He is coming again. We'll say it next Sunday in the Apostles' Creed. And it is true whether you feel it, like it, love it, are warm to it, resistant or apathetic. He is coming. And there is an opportunity. So let's move on to this next heading. The door of opportunity. The point is not that everything was hard about entering the kingdom. It's not narrow in that sense. It's limited to a group. No, it's not. It's wide open. But the time frame, the window, it is about timing. And it is about urgency. The door is open to everyone. To anyone. This is... This is more than we would imagine, meaning the people that we think are the least likely, the people that we think are the least deserving. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how, how messed up you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how you've struggled with unbelief. The invitation is open. And we don't need to squabble about these philosophical objections and differences. We need to seize the personal opportunity, every one of us to a person, because you can't enter with a group. Well, I've got all this association. And the number of times that someone has told me about their uncle who's a deacon and their, you know, their grandmother who taught Sunday school and all the good deeds that they've done and how much they've done, you know, they've memorized this. and the other, like, Listen. You know, you, people tell me, I've got it all lined up. I've done, the, I've done the five things. If you've got five things, you're on the wrong path. Because it's one thing. It's one thing. There is only one name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And the one thing we must do is surrender at the foot of the cross. You can't enter with a group. You can't enter in. in, in, in. It's narrow because you can't enter with things that you're carrying. The love of money. The love of self. You can't, you can't enter that way. You can't enter when you say, I'll deal, we'll deal with Jesus and get serious about that after I've fulfilled all of my bucket list and ambition and all of the great things that I intended to do. That, that'll be too late. The deceitfulness of sin and the deceitfulness of riches. We've been talking about that for weeks. By the way, there's no secret here as Jesus speaks with this authority, that he is saying, I am the door. The narrow gate, the door, I am the door. Jesus explicitly says it in John chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will, not might, he will be saved. And then later, it's in John 14, that Jesus clearly says, when he talks about the, the, the nature of our salvation and coming to know and have peace with the Father, he says so clearly in John 14, 6, that I am the way, definitive article, not a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
It's a door. He is the door, full of compassion, full of love and grace and mercy. And unless we think that, that somehow he is, you know, uh, you know, delighted over this. I mean, it's the, the, the picture of the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday as Christians all around the world and time zones and denominations celebrate. It's, it's, it's upon his triumphal in- entry that he looks out over the city and he, he echoes a similar thing that he does here at the close of this chapter. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he says what he says with weeping. Luke, four, Luke 19, verse 41, at that triumphal entry, as they waved the palm branches, he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. There's anguish, there is compassion and tears, a tenderness that we see in our Lord and our Savior. And then, then, then we have this imagery that he purposely wants and he, he, he draws us in to appreciate. In verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And then he goes on to say, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. I've heard similar stories uh, Accounts of firefighters who've dealt with, uh, you know, the, the, the impact of, of going back over what has been charred and destroyed. It is, I, I, I can only imagine. One of them tells the story of walking through a field, a portion of woods that was all charred and burned down. And as this firefighter approached what looked to be the remains of a large bird, burned nearly halfway through. He wondered, what, what, why, why? Because birds know how to fly. The bird would normally have, this bird normally would have just escaped and, and, and flew away. Maybe it was sick. Maybe it was an injured bird. And so the firefighter comes and, and, and starts to tap the bird. Amidst this charred landscape, this dead animal, and pushes the bird away. And then a flurry of activity comes up from underneath it, and it's the chick's. That were spared, that the mother was protecting, sacrificing so that she could protect these little birds. Jesus, my friends, he had his face set towards Jerusalem because he knew that he would die, that he would take our sin, that he would, for anyone who would find refuge under his wings, would protect them, and that he would endure the punishment and the wrath of God the Father, not for his sin, but for ours. Jesus went to Jerusalem to be enthroned on a cross. Jesus knew this was coming. He even alludes to it when he talks about King Herod. He says, listen, you just tell him that I cast out demons and perform cures, verse 32, and then on the third day I will finish my course. Now, he couldn't appreciate that, but other listeners and others following Jesus later would, that he has in view the cross and then beyond that, his own resurrection, his victory over death, hell, and the grave. What is our responsibility? And I'll, I'll close with this. It, it's, it's, very, it's very clear that any takeaway would be kind of you know, honed in on understanding these things, but, but, but responding to what he says to us 
to strive. So let's go back when he answers the question, when there, there's a, a different question, but verse 24, that we should do this in the sense of urgency, strive to enter through the narrow door. I'm telling you, that not, and don't be confused. Other translations say, make every effort to enter. Now that is not, if you know the, the broader testimony of Scripture, it cannot and it is not saying you must exert effort to earn entrance into that door, which is narrow. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 10 makes very clear that we are saved not by works, but we are saved for good works. And the desire to do those good works comes out of understanding the invitation to the door, the way, the good shepherd, the one who cast his wings over us and calls us to follow him as his workmanship. It is is a thing to fall away. If If you are part of the kingdom, then you will make preparations and not assumptions. If you are part of... If you belong to the king and you know his story, then you know, you know that the kingdom is open. But, but it's for a season. It's for a window. And don't be presumptuous. Please, come. Don't coast. Strive. I remember when I was traveling back from Bangladesh, I knew that I had entry. Why? Because I have a passport. And you have to go through PCR tests and COVID and, and you know, my, my vaccine card and this, this, this thing and, 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 and quit thinking about vaccines right now. And uh, friends, you get, to the, you get to the border and you go through customs and you get your documents out. You know, you're, I, know I'm, I know I'm fit to come back in, but I get my documents ready and everybody else is in line is glad I am too. And they go through a series of questions and then stamp, stamp, stamp. This is... If you belong to the king and the kingdom, you're making efforts. You are making preparation. You are looking forward to making entry into what you know is your home. And you didn't buy it. You and I, if you belong to Christ, have been adopted into this kingdom that we would be able to call him our brother and God our father. How did you get here today? I mean, were you just plopped here? I mean, what do you say? You don't just say, I'll get home somehow. I'll get there. How do you get into how do you get into God's word? You open it. How did you get here? You didn't. I mean, no one just plopped you here. You had to walk, drive. Some of you, I'm glad, decided to get dressed. We're here. We're striving. We're making efforts to understand what it means to follow him and to understand the goodness of what he's done. But it's not about doing. It's about knowing. It's about knowing him. There's an old story about three apprentices. They were demons who were studying under Satan. Satan came to them at the, at the close of their, their time and their responsibility to prepare. He says, before I let you loose into the world, Satan says, I need to know that the deceitful message that you're going to whisper in the, people of, uh, in the ears of people is accurate. So let me just one by one ask you, how would you best prepare? What would you whisper? The first demon stood forward. He says, oh, that's an easy one. I'll tell them there is no heaven. Satan so said, well, that's not going to work because whenever people look at the beauty of the earth and feel the wonders of creation, they, they know that there is something of heaven. 
The next demon said, oh, I, I know what I'll say when I whisper in the ear. I'll tell him, there is no hell. And Satan says, no, that won't work either because with all the injustices and all of the things that are corrupt in the world, people need to know that bad is punished and they want that to be true by way of justice. The third demon thought for a moment, he came forward and he says, I'll tell them there's no hurry. Excellent, Satan declared. People will be fooled into believing that there's plenty of time. And hell will overflow with lost souls. So I just, I say, friends, there's an urgency this day. Come to him. Follow him. Surrender to him. Come find refuge under his wings. Don't delay. It might mean that you have to, you you can't get in with the crowd. You have to sometimes leave the crowd and surrender to Christ. The door is open. And the beauty of that door is that, again, it's more than we could imagine because it will be indeed, the, the grand vision is that it will be people from every tongue and tribe and nation that will be gathered there as worshipers of the king in the kingdom. Pray with me. Father, we long for that day. We pray, in fact, that you would come now and return and set all things new and make all things right. We know that you will judge the earth. We pray that you would make us people who are humble and wise, that we would see your love, we would see your compassion, and we would respond, that we would see your authority, King Jesus, and we would yield ourselves, and that we would go beyond that. We would delight and rejoice in it, worship you, and then bear witness to you, that we would be people who are ambassadors who spread the good and glorious news of a king and a kingdom that is open to all. Lord, I pray you would bring uh, renewal and revival. I pray that you would be working. Even when we live in a time that is filled with turmoil and war and uncertainty, there's so much that we cannot understand or predict, but we, we do know what we know, and we do know that you are coming back. We do know that you're a king. We pray you'd persuade us of that even more, that we would be persuaded to the point of surrender and devotion and faith and repentance. Lord, I pray you'd give relief and mercy to those who are troubled, who are most troubled because of diagnosis and, and, and ailment and pain and, and they, just the pronounced grief that others in parts of the world like Ukraine feel right now because of war, others who face it because of persecution and opposition that we know at times is even straight up demonic. Well, I pray that you'd give hope. I pray that you'd give your spirit. Guide us, we ask. Come, for Christ's sake we ask. Even now as we pray together, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day 